As you think on the word of God today, if you turn to the second chapter here of the book of Colossians, we'll pick up in verse 5, just the next uh, five verses or so down to verse 10. As we think on our lives in Christ, it's really interesting because on two sides of really the same issue, as we grow in Christ, we need to watch ourselves in two very specific areas. One is for our spiritual progress, and the other is for spiritual perils. And in these next five verses, we find the Apostle Paul speaking to both sides of this all-important equation. You see, if we're really going to honor the Lord, we have to make sure that we continue to grow. And if we're really going to honor the Lord, we have to make sure that we don't get sidetracked. And so he gives us this condensed, very pointed ability to to take some good introspective looks at our own lives. And so would you join me and let's pray and ask God to use his word to strengthen us today. Father, we are grateful that you have called us your beloved. Lord, that you've adopted us into your family and that your desire, your design is for us to grow. Lord, that our ways and our walks and even the way that we war for you in this world would be according to your plans and purposes. And so, God, would you please speak to us through the wonder of your word. Lord, bless us with your presence by your spirit. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5 here in Colossians 2. For though I'm absent... In the flesh, Paul's just making admission. He never went to this church in Colossae, which is in the Lycus Valley. It's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was a church that he had influence in because he had been training the pastors in the region. And so there was some spiritual history with them, but it was not personal history with him visiting. So he says, look, I've never been there with you, yet I'm with you in spirit. And family of God, that's really what happened this week. Uh, as, as you were involved in the body of Christ here... We are at work through the work of the Spirit around the world. And there are churches all over the globe that you are actually joining in with in the Spirit. We have some 200 churches in India that watch online, that that are, are having notes translated for them and handed out so their pastors can learn how to teach. Uh, expositorial, expositorial Bible studies. And so you're in spirit, in work, in, in the entire world. And so Paul was saying, look, I may not be there in person, but I'm absolutely with you in spirit. And that spirit is in prayer, in support, in training. There's all kinds of ways that we can engage in the work that the spirit's doing in the world. And so he says, yet I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing, and now he goes on to get to the heart of the matter. You see, we want to have an effect in our world, and that effect comes by a work of the Spirit in our world. It's not necessarily you needing to go to Belize or you needing to go to Liberia. It's you needing to hear from the Lord and then do what God tells you to do. That may be to pray. That may be to go. That may be to support. That may be to give. That may be to do all kinds of things to take in the Word and train someone else. Maybe that person whose life you're investing in will be the next person to go plant a church in Belize or in Bogota, where where we'll be next month. We're going to go and minister to some churches in the nation of Colombia. You, You see, we need to hear from the Spirit and then do exactly what the Spirit tells us to do. And so I want to rejoice to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith and notice this in Christ. 
As we began this book, I reminded you this is the most Christocentric book in the entire Bible. In other words, Christ is presented as the center of everything. When we speak in our world about how we view things, our philosophical bent or our worldview, this is where we come to this place of having to discern who's at the center of your life. Where do you base your basic philosophy of living? Paul makes it very clear that that good order, that steadfastness of our faith, because our faith is in Christ, and if you don't get it, he's going to make sure that you know it by the end of this book. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. You, you see, there's only one Lord, there's only one faith, there's one hope, there's, one, there's that Ephesians 4 picture of who we are in Christ. And, and those who are saved are saved because he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And so he says, look, your faith in Christ, I want you to grow in that. I want you to be steadfast and in order in your faith in Christ. And so walk in him. And he gives us some things that we can look at in a positive way that we can kind of view our progress in the Lord. And so he says, rooted and built up in him. Notice it doesn't say rooted and built up in Calvary Chapel. It doesn't say rooted and built up in evangelical Christendom. It doesn't say rooted and built up in, you know, being a Republican versus a Democrat. It doesn't say rooted and built up in being an American. It says rooted and built up in Him. He's the center. He is the one that we worship. He's the one that we follow. It's very important for us as the church to leave Jesus as the center. Amen? Keep the main thing the main thing. And established in the faith. The faith of who? Faith in what? Faith must, by definition, have an object. If you have faith in faith, then you are wishing upon a star. Amen? You're doing the Jiminy Cricket thing. If you just have faith that there is such a thing as faith, and you're having faith that, you know, something will happen, of course something will happen. Faith, in order for it to be real, has to have an object. And so our faith is in Him. As you've been taught, abounding in it, in what? In faith, in Christ, with thanksgiving. How much of the church, how many of us, can honestly say these six things, that we are absolutely growing, we're progressing in our walks with the Lord? Here are the six. Verse 5. We, you're in the army now. You didn't know that, but when you gave your life to Jesus, you joined this massive army, this group of soldiers, and Paul uses a couple of words, order and steadfastness here. Actually, from original, the language there in the Greek would have absolutely told you that what he's talking about is military decorum, order, taking a place in the great plan. And if you look at our military by way of example, and you, you, look, you know that our president is the commander-in-chief, but there are the joint chiefs of staff. They, they reside principally in the Pentagon, and underneath them are assistant chiefs, and we have all this structure and this order, and every last one of them is important. But let me tell you this. If, if a war were to ensue, those that are in the Pentagon cannot fight the battle by themselves, and they will not prevail by themselves. It takes the effort of the whole army. Everyone using their gifts where God has called them is the picture. And so in that, we are in order and steadfast. And Paul says, I see this in this church in Colossae. 
We're in that battle formation. We're ready for whatever God's going to do. You take up your place in the, in the ranks. I take up my place in the ranks. We all take up our ranks together, and we move in order to accomplish the work that God has for us in this world. So a sign of progress is that steadfastness, that order of what God is doing, and that should be pictured really in unity in the body of Christ. We may not see everything exactly the same way, one with another, but we have a singular goal, and that is to make Christ known. Amen? That's to cause people to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. A second thing that you see here is we, we act like pilgrims. And, you know, we, we have a little different view here in America of a pilgrim because we associate it with Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of months. But that's really not the view here. This is more of a sojourner, one who's on a journey, one who's moving throughout their life, but where they are is not where their home is. It's a picture of someone who holds very lightly to the things of this world and they're able to move with quickness. Too many Christians get rooted and grounded in this world. They get attached to the things of this world, and they're no longer sojourners. They don't treat this world the way we ought to. We become too attached to it, and thereby we stop doing the things that God really wants us to do. And what he's saying here is treat this like a pilgrim journey. You're wandering from place to place. You're enjoying the journey, but you realize this world is not our home. That we're passing through this world. And this journey that we have here, family, is short. It's been so weird, kind of turning the corner and heading, you know, towards that last maybe quarter or so of my own life. You know, you, you start thinking in terms of, well, this could be the last house we ever own. This could be the last car we need to buy. This could be the last of this and the last of that. And, you, you know, you just, it's like you're, you're looking forward to finishing well, getting on to the end of the journey. I'm looking forward to never paying taxes again. <laughs> Ever. Street, I'm just going to cash in some pavement if I need some extra cash. But you, you see, we're on a pilgrim journey. And the stuff that's here, though it's wonderful and can be very useful for the kingdom, all those things are true. That's not to dismiss the, the good things that God does in our life. But this world is not our home. And so we are on a pilgrimage in that sense. And we walk by faith. We're not quite sure where the journey is going to take us. That's actually part of the beauty of the Christian life. If you had sat out at the beginning of my life and said, this is what Jeff Gill's going to be doing when he gets to be you know, 60 years old, I would have said, nah, probably not. Got my eyes on medical school, like to do that. I would have never dreamed I would have then been, become a contractor and do all those kind of things. And then a pastor? Are you kidding me? That No, not happening. It's a great journey. A third thing. He uses the word rooted here. And, and again, if you look at the tense in the Greek word, it means once and for all having been planted firmly. Stuck. When I was in Belize, they have these trees in Belize called monkey trees. And the reason they're called monkey trees is the monkeys like the trees. They're huge. They're gigantic. We think here in America, really, a big tree is a tall tree. There, a big tree is a wide tree. And so these monkey trees that grow next to the Belize River are these gigantic trees. The one that we were looking at was over 300 feet wide. 300 feet wide. 
You look at it, you're going, there's no way that tree, that's one tree. And then you look at it, this gigantic trunk that's 20 feet wide by itself. And all these limbs grow out. They just keep going along the edge of the river. The reason those trees can grow like that is they're planted right near the living water of the Belize River. And so any amount of moisture they need, they just they suck up what they need. We are to be rooted and planted and grounded in such a way that when we have need, we can draw from that well deeply of the Spirit's work in our lives. We're to be rooted firmly, planted firmly, able to draw from the Lord's good works in our lives. Too many Christians are like tumbleweeds. You know, we used to have those here in Southern California everywhere. I remember as a, as a kid, we would collect them. We made tumbleweed forts and all. There's no substance to them. Made the mistake one time of thinking that if you stacked enough of them, they would provide a wonderful support against your jumping off of a roof. It didn't work out well. <laughs> they're mostly air. And when they're dry, you might as well jump into cactus. You want to be rooted and grounded in this beautiful tree. A fourth thing. If you've traveled downtown, you've been next to Staples Center lately, that stretch right there along the Harbor Freely, the one thing that passes through downtown, you'll see all these new high-rises going up. Can I give you a little secret? They don't build the building someplace else and then drop it in there. They build it from the ground up. Amen? You start with a foundation. Those buildings, if you look at them, when they first start those high-rises, there's a hundred feet of the building below ground. It's parking structures and caissons and all these wonderful things to keep them standing when the earthquakes happen. You see, they're foundationally, they're built well. But you have to take care of the foundation first for the rest of the building to be able to withstand the, the forces that will come upon it as it rises out of the ground. It's the same picture that Paul's using here for our progress. We want to be a well-built building, not a quickly built building. Quickly built buildings sometimes turn into also quickly piles of rubble. They end up not doing what they're supposed to do. And so fast is not necessarily good, but well-built is what we're looking for. A fifth thing, we ought to be, as we progress better and better students or super students in God's Word. And I would just say to you, this is not meant to condemn anyone that's here. You cannot survive on one meal a week, not physically and not spiritually. So if you're taking your only, you're a Sunday-only person, there needs to be some other place where you're getting fed. And whether that's coming back Sunday nights or Thursday nights or men's or ladies or some other studies, a deep devotional life, making sure you're tuning into K-Wave, you're getting fed constantly. Otherwise, you are not going to be that super student that's well-nourished. You see, here's why. When you think about your own life, you need to make sure that it's coming from the inside out. It does not come from the outside. You have to take it in. That causes you to grow and be nourished. And so as you take in the Word of God, then you're strengthened, and then you can have a work out of you. But you need to be well-nourished, well-fed, a well-taught student. And a sixth thing is that flowing river. We want to be vehicles through which the Spirit can work. 
The reason that we're seeing the wonderful things that are going on around the world is the Spirit working in each of you, producing a corporate effort that sends people out and plants work. We are doing things that are the outflow of the Spirit's work in each of us. And here's how a river begins to overflow its bank, because the word that's used here means to overflow one's banks. Here's what happens. If you get filled up, and then I get filled up, and we all get filled up, and you're spilling over, and I'm spilling over, the cumulative effect of all of us spilling over is an even greater work than any one of us spilling over with the work of God. Amen? So we want to all be so full that we spill out into the world. It's the way it works. So you have these, you are in his army. You're a pilgrim. You're a healthy tree. You're a well-built building. You are a super student. And the cumulative effect is we take all of that work of the Spirit in, and then we need to do something with it. We spill out onto the world. And so the world then is the recipient of that work of the Spirit that flows out of the church, out of people. It's just a beautiful picture. It's the introspective way for us to say, look, I'm progressing. I've taken a look at my own life, and I'm further along the pilgrim's journey this week than I was last week. And that's what we want to, we want to see in each of our lives. We want to see progress. doesn't mean that we become exactly like one another. It just simply means that you progress, and I progress, and we progress together. It's a beautiful picture of the way the Lord works in our lives. He then shifts gears, and we'll do so with our remaining time. We'll shift to the the other side, which is we need to watch out. We need to check ourselves for spiritual perils. Not only do we need to watch for spiritual progress, but also for spiritual perils. Because there are things that will compete for the center of your life. You see, in these things that we've seen in these first few verses, really the opposite also exists. You see, you have to have something at the center, and that something is Christ, amen? That's where we're supposed to be as Christians. Whatever you worship is your center. And it is a sad thing indeed when people who claim to be Christians do not have Christ as the center of their life. They've got something else, and that something else can be quite varied. Let's look at verse 8 down through verse 10. Beware. Now he's talking about the spiritual perils that could be there for us as well. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Philosophy is the science of applying knowledge and wisdom. In other words, it's a way that you relate to your world. Cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. You see, my philosophical view is Jesus Christ is the creator of heaven and earth. And he is the savior of the world. My philosophical starting point, my center is Jesus. But you can have all kinds of other things that become the center of your little world. And unfortunately, for some Christians, it's actually them. It is themselves. They're egocentric. We are to be Christocentric, Christ-centered, according to the traditions of men. You see, there are a lot of people that believe we're nothing but an accident. The traditions of men say that some 13.7 to 13.9 billion years ago, 
There was a small seed of the universe called a singularity. That singularity exploded. That explosion began to create order. And out of that explosion, the universe expanded. And through very long periods of time and random chance processes, we went from goo to you. That is a philosophy. It's not science. There's no proof. No one was there. We didn't see it. So it's not verifiable. It certainly isn't repeatable. So we cannot know that is truth. It is a philosophical bent. It's a point of observation. It's a place that you start. You see, there are a lot of people, if you start with that premise, let me give you a little secret. You don't matter. You don't matter. If you believe that we got here by random chance processes over billions of years, then there is no purpose for your life. Well, you might say that there is some in humanity, but realistically, if I've not been created in God's image, then my purpose is random. It's chance. Amen? Think about it. And so he says, look, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, basic principles of the world, what are those basic principles? That you're nothing but an accident, you are nothing but, you know, a piece of biology, and you're not a very good piece of biology, I might add. We haven't gotten a whole lot better. Not according to Christ. Notice the difference. You see, you can either believe the vain principles of this world, the philosophies of mankind, or you can have your center according to Christ. Because it says here, not according to Christ. There's your option. Your option is all the other philosophical views or Christocentric. And then it says, for in him, who's the him? It's the previous Christ. It's Christ Jesus who is Lord. It is in him. It's, it's the one who's been the focus of this whole book. Jesus Christ the Lord. For in him dwells all the fullness, the pleroma, the entirety of God. Every single thing that God is, Jesus Christ is. So he's God. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ was God. It's one of the plainest statements found in all of Scripture about the divinity of Christ. He's God. The fullness of God is in Him. And you are complete in Him. You don't need anything else. You're complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and all power. And so as we wrap this up, you can see where Paul's going with this. You have to watch out because things are going to compete for the center of your understanding. Those who believe that everything's relative. In other words, it is so because I believe so. That what you think matters more than what actually is. How you relate to a situation is more important than the truth that may be behind the situation. That would make you a relativist. If you put man at the center, you become egocentric. You, you become a secular humanist. In other words, you believe that everything it is should relate somehow to how we as humankind perceive it. Fairly narcissistic viewpoint, I might add. Man is at the center. 
You just become a humanist. You think that mankind is the focal point of all existence. And perhaps you're a materialist. You just think that the accumulation of more stuff, many people in our country have at the center of their life materialism. They're materialists. They don't have Christ at the center. They have stuff mart at the center. They have the collection of things. It's about the accumulation of things. If you're a person whose center is pleasure, that would make you a hedonist. Your concern is pleasing yourself, most often sexually, but very often also in mental state, through alcohol and drugs. That would make you a hedonist. Or your option is to be a Christian and to be Christ-centered. Amen? You see, here's why this is important. Your starting point dictates how you view everything else. And if you start with you at the center, then you are your own God. If you start as stuff as the center, then stuff actually, because that's what you worship, that's where you focus. You look from you out. We're supposed to look from Christ out. We see the world as the Lord sees the world. We see needs as the Lord sees those needs. We see our lives as Christ would have us live our lives. Christ, for us as believers, must be the center. Otherwise, science can become the center. And by the way, I love science. Nothing wrong with engaging your brain. Matter of fact, it's a good thing. But if you take science and make it the center... If you think there's a natural explanation for how the universe got here, then you don't need God. One of the craziest things that's happening right now in the development of the study of the human genome is we've now reached a place to where scientists will actually tell you we're creating synthetic life. And people go, we're creating synthetic life. Can I remind you that the statement itself is patently false the moment it comes out of their mouths? Because they're not creating anything. They've not made any protons. They've not made any electrons. They haven't made any neutrons, no leptons. They have not created any matter whatsoever because that's against the laws of physics. So you can't create anything. But what you can do is rearrange what God already made. And that's all they're doing. We haven't created DNA. They're taking DNA and modifying the DNA. That is not creating. But people sit there, well, we can create life. No, you can't. You take away the life that's already been created, you create zip, nada. And yet people go, oh, well, we don't need God. That's not even true. And yet people get wrapped up in their philosophical bent that somehow we don't need God anymore. You know, we got Dolly the sheep now. (laughs) Five years ago, we created a blue-green algae from already existing blue-green algae. (laughs) But it was just simply a new strain. You see, man takes philosophy and starts with man at the center and then says, well, we'll alter this and it'll make us like God but you don't become God. Philosophy matters. And so the question for us, family, becomes who's at your center? 
Who is at the center of your life? Is it Christ? Is it Him dwelling in you richly? Is it something else? Because if Christ is at the center, then you have the proper worldview. If Christ is not at the center, then your worldview is going to be askew. It's going to be off a little bit, maybe off a lot. I pray that Christ is at the center. I pray that Christ is your teacher. I pray that when you say, where did somebody asked you, well, where did you get that? You say, I got that from my Bible. It wasn't a manufactured thing out of your mind or just your intellect. Because some really brilliant people have come up with some really dumb things. All kinds of things have been done in the name of rationalism. The whole experiment of communism and socialism was a bunch of very deep-thinking people who thought, hey, here's a better way. We'll make everybody the same. You know what happened? God said we were created individually in His image, and if you try and make everybody the same, your whole system of government falls apart. You want proof? Russia. Soviet Socialist Republic. We did that experiment. It didn't work. You take God out of the equation, and you still have people taking advantage of everyone else. It becomes egalitarian. Keep Christ at the center. Watch out for your spiritual progress and watch out for spiritual perils. If you do that, you're going to be a great tree growing by a river of life. You're going to be a well-built building. You're going to be a super student. You're going to have all those things that will help you war well and walk well and have your ways pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's ask the Lord to drive these home in our heart. And I would just ask right now as the worship team comes back up, maybe you came today and you've been struggling. Something else has been at the center of your life. I want to give you an opportunity today to make Christ the center of your life. It's the most important decision that we can ever make because when he's the center, everything else is where it needs to be. And so body of Christ, believers, family of God, if you would just simply bow your hearts and your heads and close your eyes. I want to just ask if there's anyone here and you, you, you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you do me a favor? Do yourself the greatest honor and honor the Lord and just simply slip your hand up in your air if you'd like to receive Christ this morning as your Savior. You don't know him, but you want to know him. You, you've never made that profession of faith, but you really know the, that your life is not going the direction. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Any others? I see that hand in the back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Any more? I see that hand there. I see this other hand. This hand here in the center. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. His hands up, going up all over the sanctuary. Father, thank you for your goodness to these people. Anyone else? We're not going to have you go anywhere. You're going to stay right where you're at. Just raise your hand. Slip your hand in the air. You want to know Jesus personally. He wants to know you. He loves you. Died for you. 
For those who raised your hands, if you would pray with me, and just pray out loud. If you would join me in prayer, just say these words, follow me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. And I want to invite you, Jesus, into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I realize that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And I thank you right now for forgiving my sin. Pray that you would cleanse me and make me new. Wash over me. Pray that you write my name in that wonderful book of life that's in heaven. I offer you my life that I would walk with you all of my days. Thank you for the gift of grace and the faith to believe. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.